Yat e bene. Good morning, my relatives. It's good to be with you today. It is uh, Thursday, January 27th, or 26th, I'm sorry. And I am thrilled today that uh, Darren Perry, the former um, leader of the, of the Northwest Shoshone people, as well as the author of an incredible book, uh, The Bear River Massacre of Shoshone History, he is going to be my guest today for my second cup of coffee. And uh, immediately after our second cup of coffee, he's going to join me on my Patreon, and we're going to have a Q&A with members of my Patreon site. And so I'll share a link there where you can join us for that after this uh, second cup of coffee. But before I begin, I want to do as I always do, which is acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from what's now called um, uh, Washington, D.C. But this land where I live are the traditional lands of the Piscataway. And I want to honor the Piscataway as the host people of these lands. I want to thank them for their stewardship of the lands. And I want to just state how humbled I am to be living on these lands today. So if you have your coffee, I welcome you to pull up a chair, grab your cup of coffee, and I'm going to bring Darren Perry on. And Darren Perry is the author of this book, The Bear River Massacre, A Shoshone History, and Darren has been doing a tremendous job over the past many years to educate our nation on the Bear River Massacre and to try and bring about a dialogue that will actually lead to a better relationship. Darren, thank you so much for joining me today. It's, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on here. I have to tell you, I so deeply admire your work. Um, I did not know about the Bear River Massacre until a few years ago um, when I started seeing some posts by you and I, I learned about your book and saw the work that you were doing. It was something, even when I was re doing the research for my book on Selling Truths, it's, it's something I couldn't even find. I didn't even learn about it then. And so when I saw your efforts and I, I thought at some point, I have to have this man on my second cup of coffee to share a cup of coffee with me, as well as to hear about your story of how you're doing this. So Darren, if you'll please introduce yourself and then we'll jump in and have a conversation. Well, thank you, Mark, for having me and giving us a platform to tell our story. We natives are storytellers. That's how we disseminate knowledge. And so from the elders on down. And so just honored to be here. Uh, my name's Darren Perry. I live in northern Utah, part of the northwestern band of the Shoshone Nation. This was our home for centuries. Um, I live here today in, in our territory, and I served as chairman for a number of years. I stepped down a couple of years ago to run for U.S. Congress, and uh, I still serve on the tribal council for another six months. And then I think I'm going to let the younger generations take over in leadership. And but I'm not going away. I'm still going to tell the story of the my people, because I, you know, I felt like it's my duty to to share that message. Yeah. And uh, really, it's a tragedy, but it's a message of hope as well. Yeah. So, Darren, I don't even know where to begin. Um, there's so many ways we could start this conversation. I think. As I as I read through your book, um, one of the things I was most impressed by was how much you acknowledge your people and how much you acknowledge your grandmother. 
In fact, the first chapter of your book is devoted to telling her story and your respect for her and what she endured and the work that she did to uh, uh, not just provide leadership for your people, but also to make sure that the history and the stories were known. You know, I remember as a, as a child, my grandparents, my, my father's side, my mother's American of Dutch heritage, my father's Navajo, my Navajo grandparents live right next door to me. And I would, I actually lived with them for the past um, few years of high school. And I would sit there with my grandfather at the table, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon or evenings. And he had this, this, uh, this knife that he would spin around. It would spin and we would, we would kind of uh, just see who it would land on. And you weren't supposed to let it land on you, but uh, pointing towards you. But every now and then he would just say, uh, to me. And when my grandfather said, uh, it meant you had to tell a story. And so I would hear stories of him herding sheep and things like that just by sitting there playing this kind of mindless game with him. And so to hear and to have you start your book by introducing us to your grandmother and her legacy of storytelling, share a little bit about that if you could. Well, you know, I think that storytelling with an elder or a grandmother resonates with any tribal, any indigenous people. Uh, that's how we learn. And so, you know, that process started early uh, at the feet of a grandmother, a loving grandmother that had sat at the feet of her elders and heard the stories. And so I'm so grateful that I'm probably one of the last generations, though, to go through that process to sit at her feet and hear stories about how the coyote would still fire or how the bald eagle became bald. And, and stories that teach values, that teach us how we should be living. And I remember if I looked tired or disinterested in any way, she would quit because those stories needed to be accurate. I needed to hear them as she had heard them. So later on, I could pass down that knowledge. And so, yeah, how do you not start your book with how you learned and at the feet of a loving grandmother tribal elder who was just passing on the knowledge that she'd acquired over a lifetime. I wish I was smarter then because I would have listened more and soaked in more. And, you know, we just are not that smart when we're young. And so <laughs> I I wish I would have asked more questions. Right. Absolutely. I was, I, grandfather, tell me about these things. You know, one of the disadvantages I had is both my grandparents were boarding school survivors. And so and then they both converted to Christianity. My grandfather was working as a translator for the missionaries. And so he didn't pass on the stories to me. So I didn't hear the, I heard about his life. I heard about his experiences, but I didn't hear our traditional stories, which is something I deeply, deeply lament. Yeah. Um, and one of the ways it was such a blessing to raise our kids on the reservation and have them attend an immersion school where they were taught the stories. I love that my kids had this experience that even I couldn't give them. But I, I want to, again, I, we could easily talk for a few hours here, I'm certain, but we're not going to do that. But, um, you know, your work to get our nation to talk about something it doesn't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And the more I learned about the massacre at Bear River, the more I was surprised, but actually not surprised at all. Right. It, it's, it's 
one of the least known, at least from my can tell, one of the least known massacres that happened. Yet it was essentially the largest massacre of Native Americans in U.S. history. Yeah, larger than Wounded Knee, larger than Sand Creek. I mean, it was it was a devastating massacre, and nobody knows about it. And you, I, I don't know when you started, but if you can share a little bit about what prompted you to begin to do this work to pub, make public and to engage at a national level or engage our nation with this history that it absolutely doesn't want to talk about. Yeah. We don't want to talk about hard history in, in the country today. And so this process started as a young boy with me because my grandmother was a boarding school survivor but then she came home and got educated and she did something that literally changed the tradition of our tribe. She began writing down all of the stories. I think she could see down the road that things were going to change in the respect that if we don't write it down and, and create uh, that written record, that if we skip a generation or two of storytelling, we've lost our history. When an old Indian dies, the library burns. I, I read that and in so, your book. Yeah. Uh, the you know the fact that she was able to write that stuff down, and then she told me one day, and it resonated with me throughout my whole life. She said, "Darren, no one has ever wanted to hear our story before. One day you will have to make them listen." As a young boy, I didn't really understand what she meant, but today I do. She was a woman of a woman, first of all, in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Nobody was listening to women then, yeah. but she was a woman of color, and which is really a, a, two strikes against you as far as having the world want to listen to you. And so as I've gotten older, I, those words just ring in my head. No one has ever wanted to hear our story. One day you will have to make them listen. And, you know, I, I've got seven children. I grew up, you know, got educated. And when you're raising your children, you're raising your children. But once the children were gone, last 20 years, I've just really dedicated my life to telling the story of our people. And it's, look, it's not because we're having, we're trying to have things made right. I believe that those who died at Bear River and those who have gone through tragic events have a God-given right to have their story told. And so for me, it's, look, we just want to tell our story from our perspective. Yeah. Whether you agree with it or not is up to you, but let us tell our story. Uh, forever, the only, the only side we've ever heard is the colonizer's side. Yeah. When Winston Churchill said that history is only written by the victors, that makes perfect and memorialized, may I add, then um, it makes perfect sense why Native American histories are never written. And yeah. so my goal was to, hey, whether you agree with me or not, here's our perspective of what happened. And because I feel like the more knowledge that you have and can bring to the table, the better you are to make a, a good decision, whether it was right or wrong or true or false or anything else. Yeah. As I read through your book, there are three chapters. Um, you talk about Chief Segwitch, 
who was the leader of your people at the time of the massacre. And my third great grandfather too, so. Oh, wow, yeah. You talk about Connor, who was the general who led the attack. And then you have a chapter on the massacre itself. And I need to warn people who are gonna read this book and I highly recommend that you read it. It's fairly graphic. I mean, you don't you don't hold things back as you're telling the story of what happened to your people and and the atrocities that were committed by these soldiers against your people. And as I as I was kind of I, I appreciated the fact that you had a chapter devoted to both of those two leaders. And one of the things that you you pointed out was the way that the Northwest Shoshone chooses their leaders, your chiefs is based on the number of feathers that the children are given as they grow up. And for every, not every, for a demonstration of good deeds and caring for the community, they're given these feathers. And then as the child grows older, it's the the children with the most feathers that then become the leaders. And even in the way that you described Sagwich and the way that he conducted himself you could see that that was some of the demonstra- that that was some of the the training that he had gone through, um, and then you kind of contrasted that with the character of Connor, and kind of looking for glory on the battlefield, and you know coming here, coming from a, a place of, per- of of injustice, and and where he was seeking refuge, but then going immediately into the army, and then kind of seeking that continued. Um, glory on the battlefield sort of mentality and just how that completely changed or molded these two men. And then they met, it was just before at, uh, at um, BOE, BOI, is that how you say it? At we say BOI. BOI, the big river. So I appreciated how you did that, but maybe if you could just talk for a minute about even that value of your people, of the way that you choose your leaders, and and what do you see as the as the benefit or the strength of that? Well, it, that's my favorite story, by the way. And whenever I go talk to s- school children, I tell that story, and about you know how because one day a girl asked me how I was chief, and I just said you know when a Shoshone boy or girl does an act of kindness or service, they get a feather. And then that conversation carried, you know, what would happen later if they kept doing kind things. And because I think the world today that we live in, uh, we choose our leaders differently. And in in our culture, you know, I think people have a, a warped sense of who our leaders are to us are, you know, the chief wasn't the bravest, the strongest, the toughest. The chief is the one who led a life of service and kindness to his community because it was a community that was entrenched in obligations that we have to each other. You know, we didn't live in a society where we believed we all had individual rights and we could do what we want. We lived every day to take care of the most vulnerable and the most marginalized every indigenous community lives that way. And so, you know, the fact that we select our leaders based on um, service, kindness, gentleness, and love, 
yeah. versus uh, how we look at leadership today. Um, that's not any of those qualities, power, authority, and things like that. Then, then it really uh, you foster a different kind of community. Yeah. And you know, having leaderships that are that are not rooted in that and rooted in service and to our people that's where we really need to go today with our even our country and so uh, i'm grateful for stories like that that taught me the importance of who our leaders should be and what qualities we should have yeah i can only imagine the different stages you've been on and the different places your book has taken you and everywhere else and I'm quite certain your book and your message has been received well in a few places and probably resisted pretty pretty staunchly in others. Um, tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about your work and both some of the, the, of the successes or the joys you have in doing this and what have been some of the challenges that you've had in trying to engage this conversation with our country? Yeah, I think for the most part, uh, people have been very open I mean, there's a segment of people. I, I live in one of the most conservative areas of the country. When I ran as a Democrat here, I, I, I knew what, what the score was going to be at the end of the day, but I still ran because it was important to share the message that uh, we have to the world. And, and so uh, I think for the most part, my book has been well-received locally even. I run into people every day, though, older people that go, that live 15 miles from the massacre site and, and don't know anything about it. Because, you know, as one older elderly woman told me one day, she grabbed me by the arm and pulled me close. And she said, as a little girl, we were told never to talk about it. And I, and I think because, you know, the Mormon community that was here, the Latter-day Saints that were here, uh, they were responsible. You know, they didn't fire a bullet, but they were absolutely the cause of the massacre. And I think after the horrific things that went down, I think there was probably a lot of guilt and things. And so generation after generation says, we just don't talk about this. This is not something we were proud of, but it's not something we're going to highlight either. Yeah. And so it's been good for me to get the message out and it's been well received, but there are those in our community that still fly certain flags, you know, for the 2024 election that uh, they don't want change. They, they don't want truth telling and, and we honor truth telling. And so uh, we need to be able to look at other people's, uh, way of life and other people's the way they they look at things and and be open and whether we agree with it or not we need to be open to those things and learn yeah. and uh, that's the only way we're really going to change the world that we live in today is be opened up to other people's ways of seeing and being and uh, you don't have to agree with me certainly but you at least ought to give me a chance to explain who we are and listen to what we have to say. And then uh, if you don't like it respectfully, just, you know, we can disagree. But uh, I've, I've not had a lot of just 
pushed back to my face blatantly. I'm sure <laughs> I had a graduate student at Utah State University interview an old farmer up by the massacre site. And we're doing some land restoration there. And, and he said to this grad student, he said, you know, those Shoshones, they just don't understand us. They, you know, they're new to the area because we just purchased the land in 2018. So since that land purchase, we've been doing restoration work on the land. And his family's probably been farming that land around it for five generations. And yeah. so when he said these Shoshones, they're new to the area, like <laughs> people have been camping here for thousands of years. <laughs> Pretty sure we're not new to the area. And, yeah. But, you know, he just thought, and the grad student told me that, and I thought, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. we're not new to the area. But, you know, so there's there's little things like that, but nobody's been really blatantly uh, upset or attacked me for telling the story. And I think I tell the story in the book in a certain way that you really can't be angry with me and, and be angry about hearing truth. Yeah. I, I, I don't beat you over the head with it. And, and try to make you feel guilty about it. And so I just tell the story the way I learned at the feet of a loving grandmother. And yeah. so I tried to disseminate that knowledge back the same way. And uh, I think we're all open to hearing hard things as long as, you know, we're not hit in the face with it every day and, yeah. and made to feel guilty about it every day. Because look, it was our ancestors that this happened to uh, we shouldn't hold anybody responsible today, but we can certainly learn about it and come together. And it's the only way we're going to ever reconcile, you know, the past. So, um, Darren, I I intentionally wore this shirt today, my unlearned shirt. It's from a conference I spoke at years ago, and I, I wear it whenever I want to unlearn something. And I didn't prep you with this question beforehand or ask you about this beforehand, but would you be willing to just take a few minutes and share briefly some of the story of the Bear River Massacre with us? Yeah, I, I would be more than happy to. To help us you unlearn know, what we've been told, but yeah. Yeah, on the morning of January 27th, uh, the troops left Salt Lake City. They were actually supposed to go north and, and arrest Sagwich and Bear Hunter bring back some of the chiefs and so uh, to get to the problem with some of the depredations that had taken place and connor when he left salt lake city said i'm not going to arrest anyone i'm going to kill every man woman and child and so it took them two days to get there but on the morning of the 29th connor arrived at the bluff now there's a high plateau bluff that overlooks the valley he could see the village, 70 lodges. The Bear River was flowing through it. A lot of steam because there was a lot of hot springs along the river, and that's why the my Shoshone people camped there. Connor moved down the bluff. Um, Sagwich had been up early that morning, and he could see the troops coming. He woke everyone up and told them to prepare. He thought he, that he could maybe negotiate their way out of it, as he had done on many occasions with the army, but he said to be uh, ready if I can't negotiate. 
but there was no negotiating that day. Connor and his men forded the river. As they approached the village, they began firing their rifles and sidearms at the, at the people. Uh, my grandmother said our people were being slaughtered like wild rabbits. The, the willows that were used as hiding places were now bent down as if in defeat. The snow was probably bright red with blood. Uh, just a horrific scene. It started early in the morning and lasted till early afternoon. There's one really quick story of a woman running with her newborn baby, jumping into the Cold Bear River near a hot spring, though. She swam under an overhanging bank where there was a hot spring. And when she did, she found herself there with 10 other women who had had the same idea. They could hear the soldiers on the bank above them wondering where they'd gone. And uh, this young mom's name was Angie Chi. She was a young mom that day, a brand new young parent. She would tell this story to the children years and years later, uh, told the children that she was tending the seven bullet wounds that she'd already received to her body. But she also told the children of having to drown her own baby because it had started to cry. And she didn't want it to give up the location of all the other women that had been there. So uh, many stories of escape, many stories. Bear Hunter was tortured and uh, a long, gruesome death. They finally killed him by running a hot bayonet through his head from ear to ear. And uh, just many stories of, of rape and bludgeoned and, and, and just terrible things that the soldiers had done. Many of the local Mormon pioneers watched from the bluff and recorded in their journals all of the things that they saw. And so we have a record of that. We have how many died that day. We have all these things because people were writing it down as they watched from their perch uh, not very far away. And so uh, what may have started as a battle, you know, for years and years, it was called the Battle of Bear River. My grandmother testified in D Washington, D.C. more than 10 times to get the Park Service to rename it the massacre, which is what it was. And because of her work in 1990, the Park Service renamed it the Bear River Massacre. And so uh, not only did she write our history and tell our stories, she was very instrumental in making sure that the narrative changed, that how we call it changed. And, and I've been working hard just to unlearn, you know, what colonial America has always wanted us to know about it. And so uh, very grateful for that. So Darren, sharing that story, that was powerful and meaningful. Thank you. I, I mourn and lament with your people over what you have endured. And I, I commend you for how well and how hard you are working to not just tell the story, but to bring healing really to both sides. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of a quote I use frequently. It was used by George Erasmus in his writings around the Truth and, Con and Reconciliation Commission in Canada for boarding schools. And he said, where common memory is lacking, where people do not share in the same past, there can be no real community. If you want to build a community, you have to start by creating common memory. And you're doing that. And it's very evident where your heart is it 
is becoming very clear to me just interacting with you why you were a chairman of your nation because of the heart that you bring to this conversation. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for um, sharing some of the history and the stories of your people. Thank you for talking about your grandmother. Um, and thank you for your work. I, I want to, again, there's, we could go on for a lot more. I, I want to just highlight something. And because, again, as I read your book, the thing, and you, you focus a lot on Connor, which you should because of the way he was the general enacting this. And for me, being Navajo and spending most of my life wrestling with the, the long walk, and for me, the villain who enacted these atrocities against my people was Kit Carson, right? He's the army captain who went through our lands and burned our houses and killed our livestock and, and hunted our people. And I've always blamed Kit Carson for that. And I want to just, I, I've done this before on my site and I want to just highlight because this is all a part of a much bigger picture and right. All of these atrocities happened during the legacy of this man, Abraham Lincoln, who in 1862 signed both the Homestead Act and the Pacific Railway Act. The Homestead Act allocated 160 acres to anyone willing to go west and homestead for four or five years. And the Pacific Railway Act allocated the land and the resources to complete the Transcontinental Railway, right? This railway that the central route had reached Omaha, Nebraska. It still had to go through Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, and come out near San Francisco. But there was a northern route that had to go through Minnesota, North Dakota, Montana, Idaho, and come out near Seattle, and a southern route that went through the territory of New Mexico, Arizona, and came out near LA. And in the next three and a half years after signing that bill, right, after the removal of the Dakota and Winnebago from Minnesota, after the Sand Creek Massacre of the Cheyenne Arapaho in Eastern Colorado, after the long walk of the Navajo and Mescalero Apache. And these were the three that I included in my book because those were the ones I knew about. And then when I learned about the Bear River Massacre, literally three years ago, and I researched where it was and where it took place and what was going on there, and I found it took place literally a few miles from where the golden spike was nailed that connected the East and the Western railroads. And when you see that, it was so blatantly clear. Yes, O'Connor, our Connor bears responsibility. Yes, Kit Carson bears responsibility. But it literally goes back to this man who was ethnically cleansing Native nations to make way for this transcontinental railway. And, right, this is, this is the larger story that, unfortunately, we almost never get. Not only do we not hear about these massacres in our history books, I mean, maybe Wounded Knee gets mentioned occasionally, right? But these other ones are never mentioned. But we never, we never talk about this guy and that this is what he was doing. And so, you know, I, I know the Bear River Massacre, the anniversary, this, in fact, this was the first massacre under his, under his, um, mm -hmm. that I could find. Uh, it was in January 29 of 1863. So this was just after the Dakota War, after the hanging of the Dakota 38, and then we have this massacre. And then he started the removal of the Dakota and Winnebago, and then the Long Walk, and then Sand Creek. And 
and I know that you're doing an event this this Sunday, which is this is the anniversary this Sunday. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and and what the significance of that event is? And then we'll we'll wrap up our conversation. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, Sunday is the 160th anniversary of the massacre at Bear River. And so every year we get together as a people and we open it up to the public because we feel like it's something that those who want to attend should attend to learn about the massacre and our people and, and to hear song and drum and ceremony and to hear how we honor our people. It's an hour long program that uh, we just have elders and, uh, we have a couple of talks and, and songs and and uh, some ceremonial things that we do just to honor those who died that day at Bear River. And not only them, but to honor the people who are carrying the message forward. One of the things I love to tell the, the children when I, when I speak anywhere is we're still here. We're still here. And that's a message that a lot of people forget. You know, Hollywood has done such a wonderful job of saying who Native Americans are. Yeah. We all ride horses and chase bison, but uh, we're all different communities. We look different. Our languages are different, but we've survived. We're resilient. We're, uh, we continue to thrive. And so uh, I just want to remind people that the, the, the descendants of those who went through a horrific event are still here and we're working every day to reconcile from the past and learn from the past and and try to make the world that we live in a better place and that's all we can do thank you brother man thank you for giving me a platform for a few minutes darren thank you i'm going to share this link if people want to buy your book they can get it on amazon um and so they they have um we have that on Amazon, where if you want to buy a copy of Darren's book, I highly recommend it. The Bear River Massacre, a Shoshone history. Um, please uh, pick up that book on on uh, on uh, Amazon, and you can read about it. I also want to let you know that immediately following this, about five minutes after we're done with this interview here, um, Darren and I are going to be on my Patreon site, and we're going to have an in-depth Q and A on Patreon. And so if you want to join us and you want to actually be a part of that conversation on Patreon, um, let me give you the link where you can go. And even if you just go and subscribe right now, you will be able to join us on Patreon. You have to join the Ask Questions tier. And Darren and I are going to do about a 20-minute Q&A. So if you want to join us, ask some questions of Darren, um, we can do that on my Patreon site. And then, of course, if you are interested in purchasing um, signed copies of my book on Selling Truths. I'm going to put a link for that there. But if you need to make a choice between my book and Darren's book, purchase Darren's book. Um, I, I, I want to help him get the word out about it. In fact, I, I ordered two copies of his book, um, and they're supposed to come in. And once they come in, I'm going to give them away. So um, I will, I'm going to find a way to do that on my second cup of coffee in the, in the upcoming uh, days. So yeah, come back. And once I get those books in, I, I ordered them about a week ago. And once they come in, in the mail, I'm going to give them away here on my second cup of coffee. And uh, you, can, you can join them uh, there. So um, anyway, Darren, thank you so much for joining me. 
It is an absolute thrill and an honor to meet you. I hope I said this to you earlier. I hope next year I can actually be at this memorial with you in person. Um, I would love to be there and to and to experience and and spend that time with your people as you remember, um, honor your relatives and remember this horrific event. But thank you for helping create common memory. Thank you, my friend. It's an honor. It's an honor to be here. So have a wonderful day, everyone. All right, my relatives. I hope you have a good day. I hope your second coffee, second cup of coffee is as good as mine was. And uh, join us on Patreon. We're going to be starting there in about five minutes. And uh, join the Ask Questions tier. And come and ask your questions of Darren Perry. And we'll look forward to some more dialogue. Ahia, my relatives. Hakonet. Walk in beauty. And may we all learn how to walk in beauty together. Thank you.